the Free Speaking Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Mintz and Joseph Nardone. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Friday, February 10th. We are getting ready for the weekend, but before we do that, let us introduce ourselves. I'm your co-host, Jared Mintz, and joining me on this lovely, wintry morning is my co-host, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how was your snow day? Um, everybody in my house was home. When you said let us introduce ourselves, it made me immediately think about Humpty Dance. Yeah, there you go. You should have just broke into it. Well, I don't know all the words. So, like, I just would have been like, my name is Humpty. That would have been perfect. You could have done that and then do, like, a slur through the rest of it. My <laughs> name is Humpty. <laughs> I got a big nose. Burger King bathroom. There it is. That's how you start shows, man. You know what's I great think- about Digital Underground? They forecast at Rick Pitino's misgivings decades ago. Yeah, man. They, they don't get any credit for that either. That's, like, a major shout-out to them. Seriously, like, they didn't get the restaurant chain correct. They used Burger King. But they knew Rick Pitino was going to get busy in a uh, restaurant chain bathroom. They did. They did. Shout-out to Rick Pitino and uh, shout-out to Digital Underground. Shout-out to Tupac Shakur. Yeah, uh, dancing yeah, Digital a- Underground. Yeah, man, we got a few things to to talk about today, but we're going to get started with some That Don't Look Good, so uh, whoever plays the music on this show, play the music. Seal. It might not be a but maybe it is. Yeah, it's something good. That don't look good. We got to get Seal on the show one of these times, man. I think... I think we have a shot. I think he might not say no. He's definitely not going to say Well, yes. I think Seal would also be mad that I'm using Kiss from a Rose with our lyrics over it. You know, I actually thought about reaching out to him the other day on Twitter and being like, yo, check out this song that we made. But then I was like, what if he sues us? So I uh, opted against that. So I guess I guess moving forward, don't anybody tell Seal about the show. Right, even though he's our producer. Right, it's our inside joke, not his. All right, so... <laughs> Obviously, Joe, you know where we're going for that don't look good, and obviously you know because I send you a rundown that tells you, but I would think it's pretty obvious to our listeners as well what we're going to talk about that doesn't look good today, and obviously that's that's my beloved New York Knicks. On Wednesday night, uh, the Knicks, Knicks had a home game where they, they all year they've been honoring you know the legends of the team and the, the history of this franchise because it's their 70th anniversary and uh, I guess the other night they they were honoring a few players at halftime. One of the players they weren't honoring that was in the crowd attending the game was Charles Oakley, a former Nick great from from the '90s era. Who you know, I I don't know if, if you guys got to watch basketball back then or if you're too young, but Charles Oakley kind of symbolized that team and their toughness and their will to win. You know, I know what I'm saying kind of sounds very narrativey. It kind of had to be there to to understand, but team had had tough big guys like Oakley and Anthony Mason and Patrick Ewing, of course, who, you know, just they epitomized that era of 90s basketball where it was a little bit more physical. It was a little bit more slow. Uh, you know, there were intentional hard fouls and guys wouldn't get suspended for it. Oakley was kind of the glue guy on that team. And he's one of the, the you know, most beloved players, figures in Knicks history. Unfortunately, he just doesn't have a great relationship with the Knicks front office, specifically with Knicks owner James Dolan. And it, it depends who you ask, but there have been multiple stories going around. The fact remains, Charles Oakley was forcibly removed from his front row seat at the Knicks game on Wednesday night. Uh, he had a bunch of security officers get in his face. He actually assaulted three of them, which is what he is charged for with the NYPD. 
And the Knicks' dysfunction, which seemed like it couldn't even get any worse this week, this came a day after Phil Jackson is on Twitter trashing Carmelo Anthony, or at least agreeing with an article that says Melo is never going to want to win. Phil actually agreed with that on Twitter. This comes a day after that, just making the Knicks organization look worse. Joe, Joe, what are your thoughts on, on what's taking place with the Knicks this week? I mean, is Oakley the big story? Is Oakley just a cover-up for everything that's going on there? What did you think of what we saw transpire Wednesday night? What was New York, the Madison Square Garden security, thinking only sending six dudes to get Charles Oakley out of that seat? They that need, is the question. They needed to bring tanks, machine guns, the Air Force, the Navy, Navy SEALs. I mean, seriously. Um I what I dislike most about the Oakley part is the the press release, the Knicks release, where they kind of like implied that he has an issue. I, they didn't say what kind of issue, but they said I hope we hope that he gets the help he needs, which uh, is saying basically there's something wrong with Charles Oakley. Um, whatever that is, speculatory. That's just not a good look. Um, the entire thing's not a great look. Uh, regardless of what story we believe with the Dolan Oakley thing. Oakley's people and some some witnesses are saying Oakley was there like for four minutes, and then Dolan just pretty much sent people over there because he doesn't like him and is scared of him. I would be scared of Charles Oakley as well, for what it's worth. Um, and then Dolan's people are saying he was pretty much being heckled. Um, either way, I mean, Charles Oakley's beloved. You guys should probably have tried to figure this out because he buys his own tickets and stuff to go in there, which is really right. weird. That's really weird to begin with. Um, the Phil Jackson said. So, like, but that's all optics, right? It's a disaster. It's we gotta laugh at it. It's really a bad look, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, it might matter free agency time when people are like, "Man, if that's it, they're how treat how they're gonna treat Charles Oakley." I'm not going there. But we also gotta be honest. It's not like the Knicks the last 20 years have been landing the top free agents anyway. This right. just only further increases the perception that you know the New York the New York Knicks isn't a franchise you want to go play for. Um, the Phil Jackson thing's a disaster, man. Because he kind of tried to walk that back vaguely, and then doubled down, then walked it back. Like he's he's a weird beast, man. He's got to go. Like it's this weird thing where when Phil Jackson got hired, it was just like because he was a good coach, he was going to make a great president of basketball operations or whatever he is. And that's not how like life works. Just because like maybe we're good writers doesn't mean we'd be good editors. Do you know what I mean? So. He's got to go. Like, and this isn't like me choosing Mellow over him. It's just like if you're not man enough to go to like to call Carmel in an office and discuss this like human, like adults, and then you're going to do what you swear you kind of hate, which is the millennial thing to do, which is to kind of whine about it on Twitter. It's just weird, you know. What, what was what? My first thought on this was was something though I thought about back when Phil Jackson was a coach and he was successful. Where we used to say when he did stuff like this through the media that it was him pushing all the right buttons because he's the Zen master and all this stuff. Right. He's times clearly passed by him as far as being able to connect with players. And like honestly, the simplest thing to do is just to talk to Carmelo Man- Anthony man to man in the office for a couple hours and just see where everybody's at. Yeah. Like I all, mean, he has to, all he has to do is be like, hey, like listen, you might really want to stay here, but we'd also really like to move you. Is there any way we can make this happen? And then if Melo says no, then fine, go public with it and say like, yeah, we wanted to trade him, but he told me no, so we're not going to trade him. Right? I, yeah, I don't think it's as complicated. Like Jackson made this overcomplicated. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, and again, this is all kind of because of Phil. It's it's not like Phil 
It's not like Phil had a gun to his head to re-sign Carmelo a few years ago or to give him that no-trade clause. I mean, everything everything that's going on with the Knicks has kind of been done by Phil Jackson. And, you know, what, what you're saying about giving him this job to, to fix the Knicks, even though he had no prior experience doing it, we weren't sure how that was going to play out in terms of the talent he was going to add or as a talent evaluator or anything like that. Even in terms of who he was going to bring in as a coach— just the the one thing that you thought would change would be the culture of the Knicks. And going back, you know, since James Dolan took over the team 17 years ago or so, the, the organization just has this track record of being shady and treating old players like crap and new players not wanting to come there, shutting out the media and not talking to the media, you know, just, just completely lacking transparency and, and seeming dysfunctional in just about every way. And while Phil Jackson hasn't exactly, you know, mortgaged the future, aside from the Joe Kim Noah contract, it's not like he's trading first-round draft picks, you know, by the boatload the way guys before him have. He's still not speaking with the media. You still have no idea what's going on. The players in the locker room are frustrated. This week, we saw both Chris Stapps Porzingis and Courtney Lee speak out. Chris Stapps said everybody here is kind of out for themselves. Courtney Lee said we still can't make this commitment on defense, even though we talk about it in the locker room every single day. Guys still aren't making that commitment. I mean, this team is dysfunctional to a T from top to bottom, everything that they're doing. And it's kind of crazy that, like, this Charles Oakley thing kind of happens in the middle of of this being its worst. Because, again, on, on Tuesday, Bleacher Report's Kevin Ding writes this column about how Phil Jackson and Carmelo Anthony just aren't a good fit together, how... Melo is never going to have the the fire that Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant have, which, I mean, it's not even fair to compare him to those two guys to begin with. I don't know why we ever did that, aside from the fact that Phil Jackson went to work with this player and he worked with those guys before. I mean, while we're at it, we might as well be comparing Chris Stapps Porzingis to Shaq or, or even <laughs> compare Joe Kim Noah to him or Robin Lopez or Kyle O'Quinn because they all played for, for the same guy. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Do you so think it's report- Trumpian? Is that what you're leading to? That James Dolan is doing Trumpian moves by just trying to distract us with the fancier, less impactful thing like Charles Oakley, so we're not as uh, fixated on the actual issues? The crazy thing, too, is that James Dolan was kind of not even in the middle of the mud with the, the latest stuff that's going on with the Knicks, because he hired Phil Jackson to let Phil make all the decisions so he wouldn't have to get into the middle of things, and he wouldn't have to meddle the way he did with guys before him. I mean, the last time he tried to bring in somebody and give him full power, it was Donnie Walsh, and, and that only lasted so long until, until you know, Carmelo wanted, wanted the trade, and James Dolan came in and said, you got to give up everything here, Donnie. I don't care what you want to do. you got to get this guy. And that was the end of Donnie Walsh having power. Phil Jackson's had, had full power to make decisions and do whatever he's wanted without James Dolan's interference. So now Dolan finds a way back into the middle of, of this garbage with, with this Charles Oakley fiasco. And I mean, I guess if anything, yeah, it took attention off of how terrible the Knicks have been and everything that's going terrible in their locker room. Now that something went bad off the court, you know, with a former player for them, they just, it's incredible how, and I feel like I keep saying this week after week, how you don't think it could possibly get worse, how every day just trumps the day before every, you know, misstep dysfunction, is just worse than the thing that happened before it. And now this happens with Charles Oakley and just reinforces how ugly things are with everything going on here. But again, this is after peak ugliness, after Mm -hmm. Phil Jackson doesn't speak to the media but gets on Twitter to agree with a column that's bashing his best player and his relationship with his best player. It's just like, it's a double whammy, if not more than double. And, you know, the the team just, it's embarrassing. They're, They're a year removed from 
from firing Derek Fisher with a similar record to where they're at now. And again, the, just the big thing here is the culture. The culture has not changed for the better at all. We're three years into Phil Jackson. The team isn't good, but just it's, it's as discouraging as it's ever been off the court as well. Yeah, and on the court, I believe this year is Phil Jackson's, on, on Phil Jackson's watch, their best winning percentage, which actually was Isaiah Thomas's worst. Is that Do I have that correct? Uh, I don't think so. No, I mean, I, Isaiah, I, I, it was something yesterday about how during Phil, ja- Phil Jackson's tenure is technically worse than Isaiah Thomas's record-wise. Yeah, I, and overall, they had, you know his sample has been worse than, than Isaiah's has in terms of winning percentage, but Isaiah had a couple of uh, 29 and 53 seasons. At least last season, we saw the Knicks win 30 games, which I guess was better than Isaiah's worst year. It's It's pathetic that this is what we're comparing, though. So you're saying you want Isaiah Thomas back? Um, nope. Man, it's I don't. If you're a president of uh, basketball operations anywhere and or an owner, um, we probably shouldn't know who you are. Do you yeah. know, like 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 I get that like we're gonna know who you are like a lot of the time because like you're gonna be good at your job maybe, but like we should not know that you're bad at your job or like people follow Phil Jackson on Twitter because he's a he's uses the, the 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 tool poorly like he i don't know what he thought was going to happen with the with the kevin ding thing like i don't know if he thought that was going to force carmelo out but like that's just a really dumb immature it's immature bad look and it just circles back to like the conversation that could have been had had he been more of like more of like a grown adult which is carmelo can you come to the office today let's talk about what's going on like normal people do. Like, if me and you have an issue, I'm not going to go on Twitter and start bashing you. I'll be like, hey, Jared, do you have 20 minutes to talk or whatever? And we hash it out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work or whatever, but maybe it gets solved. Same thing as, you know, a couple millionaires can actually do as well. Like, it's not that, like, I, it just boggles my mind that they just, like, I don't like the word culture because culture is kind of a baloney, baloney word because Joe LaCobe or whatever his name is from Golden State, like, he's not. He didn't create the culture there. He got lucky with a couple draft picks, and they're just really good. Do you know what I mean? So we're not questioning the culture because he's kind of a jerk, and he does a lot of jerky things. So the but culture there is the fine. he's not the guy there, but he's not the guy that's necessarily changing the culture. But he, and tells, I, he tells everybody he is. Like a bunch well, of things that if they were losing, we would say the culture there is wrong. Culture is just such a silly word to use in sports. Like if, if the Knicks had better players, we wouldn't be questioning the culture because they'd be winning more games. But if you don't like the word culture, then how about leadership? Because I think, you know, the example that you just used, Steve Kerr came there and everything changed. And it wasn't it wasn't about the talent on the court. It was about the approach and about the way these guys, you know, work together. And that's that's kind of what Phil Jackson was expected to change with the Knicks was he was going to turn, you know, an organization of me first guys and, uh, you know, front office people who were more focused on the bottom line than what was going on on the court into this is a basketball culture where we share the ball and where we all have the same goal. And that's just that that hasn't happened. And listen, you know, I, I can understand Phil wanting to blame Mello to extents that the culture hasn't been changed. But, you know, it's it's not even chicken or egg here. You brought this guy back. You knew who he was before. You knew where the team was going. And it made very little sense to, to bring Mello back unless, you know, this is what you envisioned. We bring him back and hopefully I could put a winner around him. And if I can't, I could paint him as this loser, and I could make him the scapegoat for why everything's going wrong. And that just seems to be what Phil's done. And it's pathetic because he just he doesn't ever speak with the media. He he doesn't ever come out. You don't see him as a public figure. 
And that was what was expected of him taking over. So I agree with your point that, like, these guys shouldn't be in the spotlight. We shouldn't know who they are. We shouldn't be talking about the bad jobs that they're doing. But when you're doing this bad of a job and you're as high profile of a person as Phil Jackson is, it's impossible to ignore. No, I'm not saying we right now, this situation shouldn't no, be no, talking no, about. No, no, but in general. In general. Yeah, like, in general, like, Phil Jackson was still Phil Jackson, but he was competent, which he's not. Like this, we wouldn't need to be doing this. The problem is he goes out of his way to show his incompetence. Do you know what I mean? Like the not talking to the media, but going to Twitter to bash Carmelo through somebody else's column is just absurd. Um, like those aren't things like other president of basketball. Like I don't think Sam Hinkie ever would have went on Twitter to bash Joel Embiid. Do you know what I mean? Like these aren't things that like normal people don't do, um, or normal people do. It's just, it's weird. I also, like, it's, it's gotten to the point where, for me at least, where, like, when people are like, Phil Jackson was supposed to do all these things, and it's like, was he really? Or was he just a name that got hired, and we, a lot of people fell for the okie-doke because he has all those rings as a coach. Right. So there was yeah. no reason to actually believe he'd be good at this job. Sure. No, you're absolutely right. He had no experience leading into this. Well, you know, what else can you go from but that he's... 70 years old or so and didn't want to come out of retirement for a while, especially not come to New York. You know, you heard the rumblings that he wanted to work, you know, in Montana for a lot of it and not not travel with the team. And, you know, it's it's all played out kind of the way you would have expected if you were realistic, where it's this guy just doesn't have experience. He doesn't seem that dedicated to the job. He doesn't, doesn't, yeah, he doesn't even want to be there. Like he kind of like he was just like, they're just giving me too much money to say no. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it that's what it looks like, and it's it's kind of played out like that. We're three years in, the team has you know seemingly repeated itself year after year, even though they tanked the first year. But the, these last two years have just been pathetic, and it, there's no signs of it getting better. Totally, totally with you. Poor next. Also, I can't wait for Charles Oakley to be the head coach next year. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's ever going to play out. I mean, again, the the problem is Oakley and James Dolan just don't have any kind of good relationship, and doesn't look like James Dolan's going anywhere. I don't, you know, just coming back to this and I guess ending the conversation with the Oakley thing, it's really strange. I mean, obviously we know Charles Oakley to be a relatively confrontational person. Uh, there were a lot of reports from the Knicks beat, and the Knicks beat would never, you know, take ownership side over player side, but a lot of guys within the media who were saying, you know, o- Oakley kind of came and, and was heckling Dolan. And then you get Oakley's report, which is, I was only there for a couple minutes. I didn't do anything. And then they got in my face and told me to leave. I mean, obviously, the story has to be somewhere in the middle. I don't ever want to give James Dolan the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I don't know how something like that escalates into that for no reason. Obviously, oh, so if Dolan- he was heckling the owner and you're the owner of a bad team, you're going to be heckled. So kind of deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, not to not to say what happened was right that it was right to forcibly remove him. I mean, that's just, that's the most embarrassing thing that could happen to a team, I think, is for the image of Charles Oakley on the ground or the image of Charles Oakley surrounded by a bunch of dudes who he's, you know, chopping their hands off of him and pointing his finger in their face and pushing them. I mean, that's just, that is such a bad, bad look. No, it really is. Like, I know it's easy for me to say that, like, what James Dolan should have done was just remove himself from the situation. And what you're basically saying is trying to be the bigger man. But... Like, the alternative was what, what what happened. And if he was being heckling, I think the best, like, and I'm, it's easy to say knowing the result. And it's also easy for me to tell somebody else to be the bigger person, even if the other person was wrong and he was kind of right to send security after. But, like, for the optics sake, he probably could have just removed himself and walked away. Right. Yeah, probably could have. Either way, it went, 
went about as poorly as it could have possibly went. Correct. I was, the, only I was that could, the only thing that could have made it worse is if Oakley was full Oakley and just started pile driving the guys. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, my favorite I, I, video of the year, by the way. I was surprised it didn't get worse than it did, but at the same time, I guess I'm I'm grateful that it didn't because that was already bad enough. I was shocked to, to see that all happen. Um, we apologize. We're sorry for talking about an irrelevant team for as long as we are and as frequently as we do. But, you know, this this is this is a dumpster fire that you just cannot look away from and stop. John Starks about. isn't walking through that door. Uh, that's probably not a terrible thing. And right, Curry's not walking through that door. No, he's not. Let's Steven let's Francis. Up, <laughs> let's switch courses here, Joe. Yeah. And let, let's let's look at some college basketball. That's the hot corner. Last night was a huge night for the sport. We had Duke, North Carolina, which was an incredible game. And we had another really good game in the Pac-12 follow that on ESPN, which was Oregon, who came into the night ranked five against UCLA, who is the 10th ranked team in the country. And UCLA, I don't know if we can call it an upset, but UCLA winds up winning that game. Joe, what really stuck out to you and what we saw last night? Well, it's really hard to win on the road. So like UCLA, Oregon split one and one. Both teams won at home. Um, Two things stuck out for me, UCLA. They have two very legit pros. I know TJ Leaf is ranked like 23rd in Draft Express. He's a lottery-level player. Um, he really is. He's a dynamic big man that can literally do it all. Like He's not like a unicorn like a Christos Porzingis because he's not 7'3", but he has range. He rebounds really, really well. Um, I know what's going to end up happening is when more people fall in love with him, the Kevin Love compar- comparisons will start because they're both white. They could both shoot. They could both rebound. Um, they both went to UCLA. Right, exactly. Um, Leaf is, or, uh, Love is a better shooter. Leaf is a better player in the post. That's kind of where the differentiate becomes in there. And they're, just because they're white doesn't mean they're the same player. Lonzo Ball, though, man, he is special. Um, I don't know. Like I know some people are, are still debating if it's faults or if it's Ball at the one spot. I think it depends on your team build. But um, And I, want, I really want Lonzo Ball in Philly at this point, uh, just selfishly. But... I, he's getting those Magic Johnson comparisons. I get it because he's a tall point guard and he does a little bit of everything. Um, there's a difference, though, because uh, Ball's a better like natural scorer than Johnson was. Um, and then Ma- Magic was just a absurd like court vision dude, and like assist numbers don't really do that justice sometimes. But uh, Lonzo Ball's, for me... And this isn't me using hindsight, because when Joel Embiid came, was coming out, I thought he was really special. I think Lonzo Ball is the most special uh, prospect I saw since Joel Embiid. Really? So he's your favorite guy in this class? Yes. Uh, not by a lot, because this class is really good. Like, really, really good. Like, um, Ball, Fultz. I like TJ Leaf more than most. Like, like I said, most people have him outside the lottery. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. Um, I think Malik Monk is awesome. Um... I think DeAndre Fox is going to be a pretty good pro. I don't think he's going to be great. But, like, I could see, like, five all-stars, like, five legit all-stars coming out of this class, which yeah, is a lot. Sure. Like, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a ton. Do you know I what mean, I mean? that's without even mentioning Joshua Jackson, who I consider to be, you know, a top two or three prospect in this draft as well. There, There's some real some real players. Obviously, I think it comes down to a lot of people between Ball and Fultz. Uh, and Dennis Smith is really in that conversation, too. Uh, what, what did you think, though, last night about, about Lonzo Ball kind of needing to score more, and, you know, you and I were talking before we went on air, it was interesting that, that he only had one assist in this game, but it was because Oregon made a priority of kind of shutting down the passing lanes for him, but he still adapted. I mean, you could say what you will about his funky-looking jump shot, 
Do you think he's the type of player that's going to be able to adapt still at the next level? Is he a good enough scorer where if there are nights where, you know, he's not making it happen as a playmaker, he can still find a shot? You're, you're confident in him regardless moving forward, Joe? Yeah. He's like, like imagine Michael Carter-Williams being actually good. That, like, right. everything people, like, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Michael Carter-Williams, but he's a tall point guard. He has a far better, like, the jumper looks weird. Like, I was telling you before, before, before air, his right arm goes across the left side of his face, but it's still a quick release. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if the jumper looks weird. As long as the release is generally relatively quick, and his release is relatively quick. That three-pointer he made with a couple of seconds to go in the game yesterday, the Oregon player was wrapped all around him, but he was still able to get the jumper off. Um, and he's shooting 43% from, from three, three yeah. on six attempts a game almost. I mean, the, the kid could shoot. He's an efficient scorer. He's shooting 54% from he the field. He doesn't turn it season. over a ton for how much. Like, I know it's 2.6 times per game. That's not a ton considering he's playing 35 minutes per game. And he's ball. He's not ball in hand heavy like a Carmelo. He's ball in hand heavy like, like – like, that's where the Magic Johnson comparison comes in well. Um, where he might have the ball for – half the shot clock if they're going that line to the shot clock, but that's only because he's setting something up. Um, he's different than, because he's very all-around player, like he can pass, he can rebound, he can shoot. He is a much better, um, this is why I like him more than Fultz, because Fultz is a really, really, really good scorer. But what's underestimated about Ball's game, this is something Fultz could do as well, but it, it, this is Fultz's marquee part of his game, but Ball could do this as well, is one-on-one taking guys off the dribble and creating for himself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yesterday, under a minute to go, uh, as Oregon was making that run at the end, which was a weird, like, it made the game very entertaining. Um, he did this weird thing where it wasn't even like a true crossover. It was just like a mini crossover to create like a half an inch of space. Then he got to the basket like a half a second. I didn't even see the ball get released from his hand during the layup attempt. As three dudes were trying to block it, and it went in. Yeah, that like, was that, that, the, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a. I don't even know how to measure that kind of skill, but like dudes that could just finish, like that in that situation after only needing to create like a couple inches of space without even like a true crossover is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I've been big on him all year. I mean, I think as the season goes along, I'm starting, and I'm sorry that we kind of do this in the you know the lens of NBA prospects. But I, I've been starting to like faults a little bit more. But Ball's always kind of been my favorite player this year in college basketball. I just love everything he does on the court. It was interesting to see him have you know a big night after his little brother Lamelo dropped 92 earlier this week. That was that was a controversial thing on Twitter because apparently he didn't play an ounce of defense. Like he didn't get past half court on like more than 50 percent of the possessions in the game. Um, but yeah, Lonzo's a stud. Before we before we leave this game though, Joe. What do you think the loss means for Oregon, who's kind of been playing incredible basketball lately? Are you are you worried? No, I mean they they were up they were up nine at the half, so they they did get off to a hot start in the tough area for them to win. They kind of just fell apart a little bit in the second half. How good do you think this Oregon team is, Joe? Do you think they're one of the teams that we're going to be seeing play late into the season? Yeah, I do. I mean, listen, this is almost I, there's a couple new pieces, but their core group of guys are the same core that was a one seed in the NCAA tournament last year. Um. UCLA is one of like the six or seven best teams in the country, so there's no shame in losing to them on the road. Um, no, I think I think the loss like this is like I always say this a lot. I say this probably I probably say it too much that sometimes a loss is just a loss. Um, that, but that's just what this is. Like there's really no shame in losing to one of the best teams in the country on the road in a hostile environment while 
two because UCLA has more than two NBA caliber players. I just keep bringing up Leaf and Ball because I believe Leaf's actually a lottery level player. Like they have like a NBA ish team. So I don't yeah, think sure. I don't really and like while Brooks and Dorsey are NBA or they they have pro aspirations. They're like second round level graded guys. Um so like I think there's nothing wrong with what happened yesterday. I don't think like today you have to write or read a bunch of what's wrong with Oregon's transition defense. I think it's just like UCLA was really good. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I wasn't trying to, you know, set you up. No, for a no, no, I know, I know what you mean. Right. All right, let's so, talk about so your then, favorite player. Let's talk about your favorite player, Joe. Last night we get a we get another classic Duke North Carolina game. Uh, they just their their history is un, unmatched. I mean, the things that that these two teams do in, in college basketball, especially when they get up against each other. It was a close game up until the end. Duke prevailed. They win eighty six seventy eight, which was a big win for them at home. Wouldn't be surprised if Carolina gets the win when they go back to North Carolina and they get uh, Hicks back for that game. But the big story of this game, Joe, even though there was a bit of a balanced scoring attack, Grayson Allen had feasibly his best game of the season, scored 25 points on 9-15 of from the field, was red hot from deep. He hit seven threes in this game. Joe, is Grayson Allen back as as the, the broadcast declared, I don't know, 100 times last night? I don't know, but he's happy. Um <laughs> That's what I've, all the articles are already stating on Friday morning. Um, listen, Grayson Allen's had a bad season. You what? Like he was. You could have said he was back like three games ago for what it's worth during the Notre Dame game. If you want to push the, that narrative, sure. Um, because it's a lot harder to score twenty one on the road at Notre Dame um, than it is like. And I know North Carolina is good, but they were down. Like was not being having Hicks was a huge deal. And Roy Williams yeah. last five minutes of the game. Um, I don't want to fall into the lazy narrative. But uh, not going to Jackson like those last five minutes was just horrible coaching. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, Grayson Allen could be back. Like, listen, like here's the deal: Grayson Allen had to start playing point guard this season, transitioning to it. It's, it's he doesn't fit right. Like it was kind of partially because Duke needed him to be, and it was also to make him more alluring for like Coach K doing him a favor to make him more intriguing for the NBA draft. He's clearly not an actual point guard, right? Um, he's too slow off the dribble. Like he's bat- he's athletic to jump, right? He could jump through the gym, but he's not actually like quick, or he doesn't have um that that quick reflex uh fiber muscle, whatever they say. No, like, there there were like three possessions down the stretch of that game where he tried to get towards the basket and had the ball stripped from him. He's yeah. not your traditional point guard who can you know slice through through defenses and and find you know your corner three or anything. Like yeah, he's that. not Lonzo Ball. He's not Dennis Smith Jr. He's not like Ty Lawson when he was in college. No, he did have that really sick crossover for a three, which was just absurd. Um, but he's not Duke's best player. It's Luke Kennard. Now, if Duke wants to be um, really good, like if they want to make a run in the dance, they're going to obviously need Grayson Allen to be, be-, be, gather- be better. But the issue with Duke isn't really Allen. Do you know what I mean? Like, Allen could be back, and that's fine. The issue is they have no depth. Giles is... Not a player. Right. Like, he's, he's broken. Um I wrote about this earlier. I don't know if we talked about that. I thought maybe he should just sit out the rest of the season um, because there's something wrong. Like, he's just not physically there. Um, Tatum is a ball stop- stopper. Like, he legit yeah. is. He's like Carmelo Anthony. He is, like, in that regard, like, ball stopper. Um, yeah, he's a very talented scorer. He can kind of get to the basket at will, but he's just not. This team just doesn't have that chemistry on offense. They don't fit. They, this roster doesn't fit. And right. that's not. And that, I'm not even blaming Coach K for it, right? Like, you, your job is to get the best players in the country as possible. 
And then your job after that is try to figure it out as you go. And if the dude's natural thing is just to stop the ball, it happens. Like, because yesterday for Duke, like, yeah, like, we should, like if you're a Duke fan, definitely be excited about Allen. Definitely be excited about Luke Kennard. Um, Tatum played, eh. Like, I know his, his county stats were great, 19-9, but he wasn't great. Um, the issue is, like, why isn't Emil Jefferson getting more touches? Do you know what I mean? Um, and your bench is a disaster. Yeah. Like, I I know they played eight guys yesterday, but Giles played set 10 and uh, Bolden played seven. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, Bolden doesn't look like a player either. No, well, that's the issue. And li- listen, like, what it is now is we just have to adjust the expectations because what happened before the season was – it was Duke and Kentucky's freshman classes are so great. They're the best two teams in the country, yada, yada, yada. And now it's like, well, Giles is broken. Bolden's not that great. Tatum's Tatum's fine. Like, he's not a, like, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's just a ball stopper. It doesn't really fit with what Allen and Kennard do. Um, right. And Frank Jackson's very talented, too. But, I mean, we're talking about an offense that just – there isn't that facilitator on it. This team reminds me a lot of the 2014 team that got bounced by Mercer in the second round where they just didn't have size up front. They didn't have a point guard that sits the table for anybody. They are relying on, like, a very talented wing. That team had Jabari Parker. This team has Jason Tatum to play big minutes in a big man role. And you just they, – they, they don't have a good balance in terms of team. There, there's plenty of talent. There's plenty of guys that can go out and get their own points and can score and get their own shots. They're just – their ceiling is limited because they don't function as a whole unit. Right. And then, like, the issue then becomes when you need Duke to be really good – like they were yesterday against North Carolina, you need Grayson Allen to be pretty transcendent. Like, he had, his game yesterday was excellent. Like, 7 to 12 from 3. You cannot ask for him to be any better than that. 25 right. they're points. Not, uh, they're not going to win games without those guys going off. Right. And, and that, that's and, the thing is they need to go off. Like, not just have decent games, but go, go off. Go off. Him and Kennard at the same time. Yeah. And the issue is with Allen is, yeah, like you have last year as a sample as well. But so far this year, there's been like six games he's played well. Like that, yep. like that kind of mind-boggling. Well, yep. yep. I mean, and good for him. The last three, three of them were the last three games that he played really well. Like going back to the Notre Dame game, he was playing excellent. I, I like. I know he played well against Wake Forest, but he wasn't. He was still pretty inefficient. And uh, like, don't come at me with like the North Carolina State stuff because he shot below thirty-one percent from the field, and he shot like eleven percent from three. But. Uh, yeah, man, that's that, that's the issue with Duke because they're not deep, they're not actually deep. They're fr- most of their freshmen aren't actually good or healthy. Um, because I don't like Colin Kyle's not good. I, it, it's just that he's broken at this point. And I mean, uh, he hasn't been good though. If you're going to be honest, well, he no, hasn't but, been but he, he hasn't been good because his body's not not right. where it's supposed to be. And maybe it'll never be right. Like that's that was my when I wrote that article about him sitting out. It's he he might do himself more favors by just sitting out at this point and trying to recover. But um. Yeah, like you're literally going to need like Grayson Allen to be making seven to twelve threes, and Kennard to be what Kennard's been all season to have a chance. Like, and that doesn't even mean they're going to definitely win. Right. It just means that like yeah, they're going to be really competitive. So like, I don't like Duke long term this season. Like, I don't think they're going to the lead eight or anything. Um, but if Grayson Allen has like a hot streak like this, and Kennard is Kennard, and um, they have to do a better job getting Jefferson involved. Um. Then maybe, but I don't think they're, they've shown anything. Of, like, I, I just fear the Grayson narr- Allen narratives today and tomorrow and the next day. They're coming. They no, are they're coming. here. He, he's happy. Right. He's happy. So that's why they're, he's good. For sure. All right, Joe, what do you think? <sighs> do we have time for, for any absurd questions, or do you got to drive your kids to, to Let's school? do absurd questions real quick. 
Hit the music. All right, I'll let let mine first real quickly. So my bachelor party is this weekend, actually, kicking off tonight. Thanks for the invite, Jared. Joe, if you had to redo your bachelor party, where would it be? Uh, I had a pretty good bachelor party. Um, I'm not telling you anywhere we went, but, yeah, I don't need a redo on my bachelor party. (laughs) There it is. All right, good stuff. That's a good answer considering we're crunched on time. All right. Um, You can give us your bachelor story on Monday. Um, if yeah, I you, can't give it to you today. No. Um, if you could be a uh, commissioner of any league, with the point being that you can make like overarching, widespreading like league rule changes, like the baseball one, where it's being suggested a guy might start in second base in extra innings, what um, sport would it be, and what would be the one rule you would change? That's a great question, actually. Um, I mean, I kind of almost want to do baseball because I can't really think of anything I'd want to change in basketball. Mm-hmm. And with football, I feel like there's too much to change. I don't know what I would change, though, in baseball. Uh, maybe I'd just make sure all these guys get into the Hall of Fame. I think that, that <laughs> would be that'd be my big thing. I mean, I don't, I don't really have big structural problems with how any of the major sports are played, I guess. Uh, anything beyond that, you know, was probably a, a player's union and player's owner type of thing and not really a commissioner type of thing to change. Do you, do you have something that sticks out to you that you would love to change? Yeah, it's baseball as well. Um, and I, I, I don't, I hate being that guy that is like, let me come in and fix your sport. Like, I hate it, but it's fun to talk about. Um, I would do a couple things. One, limit the, the amount of times the manager could go on the field. Limit the amount of time they could go to the bullpen. bullpen. Like, you could only use, like, three or four pitchers per game. And then I would, I would put a legitimate shot clock on the pitcher on the mound. Oh, my gosh. Not bad. Well, I would just want to speed up, like, I, and I know that's a lot, and I do think, like, the other two, like, the manager one and the limit the bullpen usage would be enough, but, like, some some pitchers, seriously, like, take, like, like I could hit the 30-second fast-forward uh, mark on my controller, and the pitcher is just touching his groin for the second time. Yeah. Yeah, baseball can be slow, and I think that turns a lot of people off. Um I, I just, that's so weird. I mean, I feel like that's a question I need to give a little more thought to. We, we could do a whole show on, like, uh, we're going to hit what the dog days. Yeah, yeah. We, could, we, could, we could do this Monday because it's kind of, we're hitting the dog days here. So unless something fun happens here, we could do this Monday before March Madness really picks up. Ooh, March Madness. It's a coming. It's a coming. All right. I think that's that I got to let you go, though, because I know your kids had a, a delay and you got to get them to school. Yeah, so, those uh, bums. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening to us. We hope you all have a great weekend. Uh, be safe out there if your roads are still icy. You can follow me on Twitter at jmintshoops. Catch my basketball writing at fanragsportsnetwork.com. It's actually fanragsports, not fanragsports.com. <laughs> I write for the NBA section. And again, this week I wrote about how Phil Jackson has not been able to change the culture of the Knicks. Timely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I wrote it Wednesday, and then that thing comes out. Then then Charles Oakley gets gets ejected. Jeez. All right, Joe, uh, tell the good people where they can find you. Also at FanRagSports.com and on Twitter at Joseph Nardone, N-A-R-D-O-N-E. Have a great weekend, guys. Woo-woo. Skiddly-doo-dop-dee-dop-dee-dop-woo. All around me are familiar websites, worn-out clickbait. Worn out hot days, bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking, no one's clicking. Their pages are filling up their pockets, but not for writers. 
Napperiders. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet, in which I'm worthless, is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.